The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither he nor his parents sinned. It is so that the works of God might be made visible through him. We have to do the works of the one who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva and smeared the clay on his eyes and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. And he went and washed and came back able to see. His neighbors and those who had, been, who had, been, had seen him earlier as a beggar said, Isn't this the one who used to sit and beg? Some said it is, but others said, no, he just looks like him. He said, I am. So they said to him, how were your eyes opened? He replied, the man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went there and washed and was able to see. And they said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. They brought the one who was once blind to the Pharisees. Now Jesus had made clay and opened his eyes on a Sabbath. So then the Pharisees also asked him how he was able to see. He said to them, He put clay on my eyes, and I washed, and now I can see. So some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a sinful man do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said to the blind man again, What do you have to say about him since he opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. Now the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and gained his sight until they summoned the parents of the one who had gained his sight. They asked them, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How does he now see? His parents answered and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. We do not know how he sees now nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he can speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone acknowledged him as the Christ, he would be expelled from the synagogue. For this reason, his parents said, he is of age, question him. So a second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner, He replied, If he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know is that I was blind, and now I see. So they said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why? Do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? They ridiculed him and said, You are that man's disciple? We are the disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but we do not know where this one is from. The man answered and said to them, This is what is so amazing, that you do not know where he is from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if one is devout and does his will, he listens to him. It is unheard of that anyone ever opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he would not be able to do anything. They answered and said to him, You were born totally in sin, and you're trying to teach us? Then they threw him out. 
When Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, he found him and said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered and said, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. He said, I do believe, Lord, and he worshipped him. Then Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment, so that those who do not see might see, and those who do, not, who do see might become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard this and said to him, Surely we are not also blind, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you are saying we see, so your sin remains. The Gospel of the Lord. Sometimes it's important when we hear the Gospels to enunciate certain things, to be a little bit more dramatic in certain ways. And so when we hear this Gospel, if you just read it really kind of boringly, let's say, it wouldn't have the same impact and effect as if you know, recognize the different voices, the different characters in it. And so there's actually a lot of humor in this gospel. There's a lot of joy even. Uh, this, this man born blind has an amazing experience, an amazing story. But as we get into that, just a reminder of where we've been. So as we are going through Lent, we're, we're practicing this dying to ourselves uh, so that we can live for others. We're practicing this dying well in order to live well. And so pop quiz, I know it's early and you're not all with it, but I will help you through this. That first week of, that first Sunday of Lent, we, we dealt with Jesus' own temptation in the desert. And the first temptation we face in death, and as we attempt to die, uh, is doubt. And there's a virtue, again, associated with all these. So the uh, counteraction to doubt was what? Faith! Nice! Excellent! Okay, off to a good start. The next week, we heard about the transfiguration on the mountain, and Peter and James and John just being in awe of what they are encountering with the Lord, this glimpse of heaven even. Because when we are dying, we face this temptation of despair. But despair is counteracted with hope! All right, two for two! Excellent! And then last week, we had the beautiful gospel of the Samaritan woman. And the Samaritan woman who uh, comes out in the middle of the day, she's, she's rejected by the town, and she's, she's going through difficulties, and, and the Lord just encounters her and loves her and meets her where she is, has a conversation with her, and she goes through this conversion. And so the third temptation we'll often face is impatience as, as we are nearing the end. And so the counteraction to that, the virtue that responds to that best is... Love, that was less enthusiastic, but I'll take it. All right, so we have doubt is countered by faith. We have despair countered by hope. We have impatience countered by love. And now today, as we continue to recognize death and, and we die in ourselves, we can start to struggle with the temptation uh, that is known as vainglory or pride. And the virtue that counteracts vainglory or pride is one of humility. We have to allow ourselves to, to humbly uh, receive from the Lord what is happening, but also um, to humbly acknowledge that 
what we've done in our lives, what we've experienced, is not just our own gifts and abilities alone, but shared with the Lord. And so thinking about this, it's, it's good to recognize that pride can come in many forms. And there's a different kind of pride we experience when we're dying versus a pride that we can experience often when we're living. As we're living, uh, the pride that we often experience, this, that we are tempted, is that we are just better, that we know better, that, that I am greater than another. And so you, see, you can see that a lot in sports, you can see that a lot in business, you can see that a lot of that in, in the workforce, school, like, I'm just smarter than you, I'm better than you, I'm more skilled than you, whatever that may be. And that pride, again, needs to be tamed and honed in. But the pride that we face as we're dying, as we're nearing the end of life, this vain glory, is the idea of like trying to grasp to things so that we can, re- we can remain being known. Because if we're going to die, it's like, well, I want to make sure I, my life meant something. I want to make sure my life was purposeful. I, and there's a pride that can creep in that says, I've, I've done these things, I've accomplished things, these things. But it's one more so of, of clinging to stuff that ultimately won't matter in the end. I think pride is one of the great sins priests will face throughout their ministries. This, this pride and jealousy, I think those are the two. Uh, pride that like, wow, I gave this great homily and it converted all these people. Like, I did that. No, I didn't. The Lord did that using the priest as the vessel. Um, I think another element depends on, on the individual. So like, for myself, I'm an only child, which means after me, there's no one that's going to carry on my name. My name is dead after I die. And so there's a pride of, I want my name to be remembered. I want everyone to remember that name. And again, that, that's a prideful sense of, it doesn't ultimately matter. Like, the Lord ultimately is the one that has the victory. And so whether or not they remember my name, as long as they remember what the Lord has done through me. These are the temptations that pride that we face in death. So how does that relate to this gospel? Well, the man born blind gives us the beautiful explanation of, of, a, of a Jewish teaching that honestly doesn't make a lot of sense, at least now in retrospect. But for, for the Jewish people, oftentimes illness, sickness, disease, things that people were suffering with was attributed to sin. That if a person, in this situation, the man born blind, it means that he sinned, or his parents sinned, and we hear that in the gospel. And right away, right off the bat, just to clarify, just to make sure everyone's on the same page, Jesus says, because the, the disciples say, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? He says, neither. Neither person sinned. It was not the parents, it was not, it was not the son. It is so that the works of God might be made visible through him. Why is this so important? It's because Instead of thinking, oh, my ailments, my problems, all these things are someone else's fault, it's actually a way to think of, God, you have a plan for my life. You have a plan for why I experience what I experience. I may not get it. I may not like it. However, you're inviting me to accept it. That's challenging. So this analogy of blindness and sin is kind of what we walk through today. Being blind 
right? We commit sin because we don't see truth. But his blindness had nothing to do with sin. It had everything to do with how God wanted to bring not just healing to him, but wanted to bring a witness through him. And that's really encouraging to say like, wow, Lord, with, with the junk I deal with, you actually want to do something with that to benefit others? That's the beginning of humility, that the Lord wants to work through us. Now, may or may not have caught this, but the man, as he goes through the story, right, he's, he's, he's a simple guy. And they're like, well, who healed you? He's like, I don't know, this guy named Jesus. All right. And then they go back and like, well, like, what did he do? I don't know. He put clay on my eyes. It was great. And he's so simple. He doesn't make a big deal about it. He's, he's, not, he's not looking for anything himself. He's just acknowledging like, yeah, I was, I was stuck in this particular ailment, and now I'm not. And so he has a similar conversion experience to the woman at the well, where she, remember, she called Jesus a Jew, and then sir, and then prophet, and then Messiah, and then Christ. Like, she goes through this because she encountered him through love. Here, this man encounters Jesus with complete humility. And they, they mention this in the gospel that there had not been anyone who had been born blind healed. And so, you know, when you think about this, that means that if a person was born, they had sight, and then they lost sight, and then all of a sudden they got their sight back, like, oh, it's kind of a miracle, but it's kind of not because maybe their eyes just got better. This, this person lacked the sense entirely. They had nothing. And then they had something. That was unheard of. And so the argument that comes out, that creeps in with the Pharisees, again, this pridefulness from them even, well, this man can't do this. He's not from God. He heals. And they're so stuck on the Sabbath. They're so mm, stuck on this. Like, all right, and let's just acknowledge if we see someone sick or hurt or ill or in need on Sunday, we're probably going to help them. Yes or yes? yes? Right. And so let's just move past that. But they're so stuck on this idea that if he does anything good or anything at all on the Sabbath that he's not of the Lord, I'm like, just be quiet already. And so they struggle with this sense of pride. And, and it's really more about the Pharisees and the blind man. So Jesus doesn't say a whole lot in the rest of this gospel. When Jesus heals the man, everyone questions. And the man just states, repeatedly even, the truth in a simple and direct way. And it kind of makes you wonder, like, how many times did he have to tell them? How many times do we have to remind someone of a simple, direct truth until they finally get it? Like, what's that pride that prevents us from thinking, oh, this person can also know something? Because it, it, it happens in the end, right? They say, you were born totally in sin, that blindness. And you're trying to teach us? And, and I'm thinking, so you're saying that only non-sinful people can teach? Well, I'm going to sit down then because I have no business talking. Because all of us have sinned. All of us have made error. All of us are at fault in some capacity. And yet, we have a beautiful gift through the sacrament of reconciliation to be healed and forgiven and to grow. 
But the Pharisees' pride is like, how could you, a sinner, know anything and provide any guidance to us? That, brothers and sisters, is the epitome of pride right here. Because ultimately, pride makes us blind. Pride makes us unable to see the gifts, the fruits, the talents of other people. It's humility that gives us sight. And so, like, here's two examples. As a, as a young, brand-new Catholic, I got hired as a youth director to mentor and form and, and teach high schoolers. That was a crazy idea. Because my background was Catholic for, like, a day. And my, back, my, other, my degree was in psychology. And, like, what business did I have being a youth director? at 22. None. Zero. Nothing. And then I was invited to that. And so I had to learn a lot. I, I recognized I had very little. I had, to, I had to take from a lot of people. Well, as time went on, right, after I left that job, I entered the seminary, you know, you start to let this pride creep in, like, wow, like, you, you do all this with youth ministry, you know all this stuff, and it's like, yeah, yeah, I do, because I'm awesome. And you start to think, well, what, what could you teach me? Like, I know youth ministry. What do you know about youth ministry? And that pride's starting to creep in. The problem is that blindness, it prevents the ability to see a new idea, a new gift, a new reality. And so the, the truth is this. Everything of who I am now is stuff that I have stolen from other people. That's just the reality. And it's because... I've allowed humility to creep in. Now you're thinking, well, that doesn't sound very humble, Father Jay. I'm like, I'm pride and okay, it's fine. But when we acknowledge the gifts of others, we acknowledge what others can do, that, that's the example of humility to say, like, I don't have it all figured out. I don't have it all put together, and that's okay. Another example, um, last night the, the men of our diocese uh, were on a Curcio weekend at, at St. Felix, and and I often get uh, called and asked to help uh, doing the praying at the end of the night with the encountering the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you, the first time I was ever invited to do something like that, it terrified me. I thought, I, I have no business asking the Holy Spirit to do anything for this individual. I'm just going to go hear confessions. That's much more comfortable. And then finally, started like it just became a point where like, you had to do it because there's no one else to do it. And, and you're praying with these people, and you're just asking the Lord, like, Lord, I've got nothing. Whatever you want to give them, give them. And all of a sudden, you start seeing people, like, resting in the Spirit and going down. You're seeing people, like, having these crazy encounters. And like, what is happening? If you've, ever, if you've ever been a part of something like that, it is super freaky. And there's, again, that sense of pride that can creep in, like, wow, look what I've done. But it's really the Holy Spirit doing the work. For us... As we are dying in the season of Lent, we can have this temptation to hold on to things, to think, to want to be known and seen. Like, wow, look at me. I've given up coffee for, for four weeks. Congratulations. Are you a nice person or a not nice person without your coffee? You know, we can get prideful about, like, what we've accomplished, what we've, what we've given up or what we've added in. Like, yeah, I've started praying a rosary every day. Like, great. It's awesome. The humility is acknowledging that there is still someone greater. So I want to kind of finish with two pieces. 
this last line that Jesus says, it's, it's thought-provoking. Because after the, the man says, I don't know who he was, his name is Jesus, oh, he's a prophet, and then finally the last time, he is going from the defensive of explaining about what's been happening to him, and he goes on the offensive. And they, they ridiculed him. He's like, you're that man's disciple? Because he said, I already told you how I'm better, how I'm healed. And like, why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to be his disciple? Like, there's a sense, like, there's a humor in that. And he says, well, he goes on and says, we know that God spoke to Moses, but we do not know where this one's from. And the man said, that's what's so amazing. We may not know where he's from, but he opened my eyes. He healed me. He did what was impossible. And we know that God does not listen to sinners. So we know he's not evil. Like, this man is so simple. But if one is devout and does his will, he listens to him. And so, finally, Jesus says, do you believe in the Messiah? He says, I do. Who is he? He's me. Lord, I'll follow you anywhere. So then Jesus says this. He says, I came into this world for judgment, so that those who do not see might see. And we hear that, and it's like, that makes sense. Okay. Those who do not see, those who, those who struggle with, with faith, those who struggle with with hope, those who struggle with, with love, again, those virtues, those who, who deal with, with temptation or sin, like those who do not see, those who are blind, I've come to help them see. But those who do see, I've come so they might become blind. You're like, whoa, that's really weird. This is what he means. To the humble and the childlike, Jesus reveals the Father and the Father's will. But to the wise and the understanding, he withholds the light necessary to see the truth. Now, why would God ever withhold the light? Because they need to grow in humility. And who is it that needs to grow in it the most here? The Pharisees. Because they're at this point of saying, like, how could you, a sinner, ever teach us? The fact is this, brothers and sisters, every single one of us can teach something about the Lord to someone because of who we are, because of our life, because of our existence. So here's the final part, because this is really a cautionary tale. Um, not to seek pride, but to go after humility. When I was in the Holy Lands as a deacon, uh, you meet a lot of Jewish people. And I had wondered for a very long time why they wore that hat. And I was like, what's, what is it? Like, is that a yarmulke? And actually that's like the Yiddish word for yamakare, because the actual hat's called a kippah. So I learned some things. I said, why do you wear that? I'm so curious, because they're like, why do you wear what you wear? And I said, here, here you go. This is, this is from the Talmud, the primary source of Jewish law. They said it's, it's from Shabbat 156b, if you want to go look it up. The, the kippah is worn uh, from this line. Cover your head that the fear of heaven may be upon you. Cover your head that the fear of heaven may be upon you. The, the way he explained it to me was, I wear this so I am reminded that there is someone above me that I have this reminder of humility, that there's someone greater than me. And that's what we all need, is the humility that someone is greater than us. Right? And the, the humility then to pray well, the humility to accept well. This man was completely devoid of a sense, completely absent of sight, and was given the gift to see. It wasn't anyone's fault he had this. 
It wasn't anyone's sin that caused this to, to be upon him. It was simply God wanting to use him as a witness. And so the final part is this, brothers and sisters, in, in the struggle that we have with pride of thinking that we can do it, that it's all on us, it's the humility to say God is the one working. God is the one speaking. God is the one moving. And as we move through Lent, as we die, as we continue to practice this death so we can have eternal life, we humbly submit to the Lord all of the success, all of the failure, all of the struggle, because there is someone greater than us. Thanks be to God who is aiding us, who is helping us, who is with us. And this humility that we put on allows others to see the beautiful work of Christ. So may we recognize in our lives, whatever it is, the struggles, the ups, the downs, that it is God working through us and that we humbly take him on. John the Baptist says it most beautifully. Lord, help me to decrease so that you can increase. We have to get out of the way so that God can fill it, so that God can work through us and use us for his grand plan.